When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Neurodiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan. I am your host. Thanks for tuning in with us today. Today, we are talking about something that I think we've alluded to a lot in previous episodes, but not actually crafted an entire episode about. So today, we're talking about how to create a sensory safe space to help you manage your overwhelm and sometimes your feelings of overload. Now, sensory room, sensory friendly spaces, however you want to frame that word, are really useful for autistic people, whether you're a child or an adult, but also uh, are useful to people with a wide variety of neurotypes. And so I think considering, even if you don't have a whole room to yourself that you can make a sensory room, I think it's worth considering how you can create some um, sensory-friendly spaces, even if they're small, in your apartment, home, space of living, okay? So before we dive in, I just want to give a big thank you to my patrons over at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Patreons subscribe and give a small monthly donation to help us support um, all of our blog posts, all of our podcasts, and our low-income coaching clients. If you would like to become a patron, you can visit patreon.com slash neurodiverging and look at all the tiers. Um, For each amount you subscribe, you can get different perks back, including ad-free podcast episodes, which I know can be really helpful for some of you, as well as group coaching on our Discord, weekly get stuff done meetings on our Discord, and, and lots, lots more. So if you're interested, please check us out. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much to the patrons that make this kind of thing possible. So if you've been here for a while, you might remember that one of the first podcasts uh, I ever put out a couple of years ago was about the spoons and fork theories, which is a uh, kind of a, a metaphor for autism and fatigue. And one of the ways that we talk about managing our energy levels as autistic people, as neurodivergent people, is by ensuring that our home or our place of living is sensory friendly as best as possible and matches our sensory needs. For people who are autistic, it's essential that feelings of overwhelm and overload are managed. And this could be really tricky when you're initially diagnosed or moving to a new place or going through any big transition in your time or your space. But with some self-reflection and some practice and sometimes some like testing it out and trial and error, it is really possible to create a space that works for you, even though it will be a little bit different for each and every single person. So in this podcast, I just want to talk briefly about some kind of key ideas that you can consider when creating a sensory friendly space or room or whole home. So the first thing you can think about when you're thinking about how to manage or create a sensory friendly space is to identify your forks, quote unquote, and your triggers. So if you haven't heard on fork theory, I'll link that spoons and forks um, episode below. It's really worth listening to. It doesn't take that long. There's also an article you can read instead. But for the purposes of today, all you really need to know is that um, fork theory offers a way to think about the aspects of your life that you do have some control over. So There are going to be certain things in your life that are really challenging and hard and create a lot of overwhelm that you can't really do anything about. 
unfortunately. But there are also almost always aspects of your life that make you feel very overwhelmed or overloaded, but that you do have some control over. And these are our forks, right? So what we want to do is if we have too many forks in us, we get really overwhelmed and poked and we just want to shut down into a little, you know, whatever your meltdown or or shutdown looks like, that's what you're going to do. But if you can remove some of those forks, you create space. And when you create that space, you have more capacity not to overload and to problem solve some of this stuff, right? So for example, perhaps you are somebody who gets really overwhelmed by um, certain sounds or certain light. Maybe for you, it's certain smells or scents that are just too much. Identifying what's triggering to you is, is the most important step of being able to start crafting a space that is the opposite of triggering. Okay. The next step is taking action to help create an environment that works for you. So we're going to break this down a little bit more. So first of all, let's talk about sound and noise. If auditory stimuli is a problem for you, there are many ways that you can dampen noise in your home, in your space. You can get carpets or rugs from for the floors to create better acoustic environments. Um, if you have a lot of hard surfaces, area rugs can be really helpful just to absorb some of the noise. You can buy paneling um, like online on Amazon. I can put a link below to some that help also absorb noise if you're in a place with a lot of echoes, which I know really gets me personally. So I have to assume it gets other autistic people too. But just like with the flooring, there are other aspects of how a home is constructed that can sometimes reduce noise pollution from the outside. So if you have the ability to use insulated windows or add additional insulation into the walls, these can be great ideas. If those things are out of your control, you rent, you don't have the money for it right now, adding soft stuff in your house can reduce noise and echoes. So getting a couple beanbag chairs, getting more cushiony, pillowy stuff, um, getting a couple of those like boyfriend pillows that have the arms, um, just putting as much soft stuff, getting some tapestries or blackout curtains for your windows, that kind of stuff can really dampen out the echoes and also make it so that um, say the humming from your refrigerator doesn't get transmitted all the way into your living room, right? Or all the way into your bedroom. It can keep noises in their space um, when you have more soft stuff absorbing. So if you're able to, that can be a really inexpensive and relatively easy way to dampen some of that noise. Another option can be investing in some high quality noise canceling headphones. These really help so many of my clients. And I know if you're an adult and you've never used, you know, headphones or ear defenders or even earplugs before, it might feel like people are staring at you a lot when you use them. It might feel overwhelming. High quality noise canceling headphones, um, you can plug them in to your cell phone and make it like you're listening to music and not actually listen to anything. People on the outside don't know, <laughs> you know, they're not going to notice if, so if something is playing or not. So you can wear the headphones and just pretend that something is being piped in. You can also get, they have, there are lots of low profile earplugs that you can wear. And I actually have a list on the website. My favorite ones are Vibes. Um, I really like them. Uh, I'm not being sponsored by Vibes, but I've had mine for a couple of years and I wear them basically daily. Um, they're really great for dampening out a lot of house noise, like the washing machine or the dishwasher kicking on, the, the air ducts making that rattling noise, or the electricity when the light bulb goes out, making that kind of high-pitched roaring. Um, they dampen all that stuff, but I can still hear my kids through them. I can still hear my cats through them. I would still hear a plane crash, right? So it's not making me feel unsafe. Like it's not dampening my hearing to the point that I feel unsafe. So I really like vibes. I also have a lot of friends who swear by loops. I have not tried loops, so I can't, you know, vouch for them personally. But um, from from 
having talked to a lot of folks who use um, earbuds and and noise cancellation technology, it seems like they might also be a really good fit. So um, I'll link again that post I have on earplugs down below if you need some ideas. But I also really encourage you to go on your favorite, you know, Facebook group or board or go on Autastic and ask other people what do they like for sound sensitivity. Some people need a lot of audio input in order to focus and be calm. Some people need less, right? So when you are making your safe space, your sensory safe space, I'm going to give you ideas of how to dampen things, but you can also be thinking about how to add as well, how to increase, right? If you're somebody, I I, I can't think of anyone who really likes echoes, for example, but if you're someone who's going to be really calmed by certain kinds of noise, certain kinds of music, certain kinds of percussion, um, then add to your space, right? You don't always have to be taking away. So let's take a minute and talk about visual stimuli and light. So most neurotypes do better with natural lighting over artificial lighting. Um, there's lots of research on how lighting affects the brain, um, how it affects production of melatonin, how it affects your sleep-wake cycle, how it affects your energy and your anxiety. You can absolutely Google that. The really reductive thing to take away from all that research is natural lighting is best if you can get it, okay? Artificial lighting can cause problems for some kinds of people. So when you're choosing types of lighting fixtures and types of light bulbs, it's best if you can try to steer clear of fluorescent ones. Lamps can be a good choice because you can often find ones with different settings and colors. So you can like test out whether red light or green light or whatever purple light is going to be best for you. If you're somebody with migraines, for example, you know, a rose tinted light might reduce your migraines, whereas a blue one might make it a lot worse. Um, if a dimmer switch is available on your lamp, this can be even better because you can really try out what is the best brightness of light where you are able to see and do what you need to do, but also aren't overstressing your eyes and, and your brain. Okay. Color and patterns can matter a lot too. So if you have the option, consider the color of your walls based on what the room is going to be used for. If you want to create a space that you're using as a calming space, choosing something like a light blue might be helpful. If you're wanting a space that is energizing, maybe green. If painting areas of your home is not doable, consider adding or taking away furnishings with particular colors. I'll also say some patterns can feel overwhelming or distracting. So really think about what works best for you. Um, some people who can't paint on their walls also will put up um, those wall decals you can get on like Etsy or Lowe's or put up a lot of art, right? Art doesn't have to be expensive. You can get an expensive art and it can really help set the tone for the space that you want to be in. And it can be a centering item too um, for when you're feeling overwhelmed. It can give you something to really focus in on if you have the right kind of art in your room. If too much visual stimuli is distracting for you, choose a more minimalistic approach to your furniture and your painting. Maintaining minimal color where possible is a good idea if you get overwhelmed by a lot of visual input. I'm a little bit of a maximalist. I like a lot of art on my walls. I like a lot, like a lot of color on my walls and I don't really mind clutter up to a certain point <laughs> where it becomes um, like a safety hazard. But a lot of people, um, can't work if there's stuff everywhere. They feel like their space is disorganized, so they feel internally disorganized. So really think about what kind of person are you? If you could maintain your house exactly the way you wanted it to, if you could start with no thought of money and no thought of like real life constraints and make your room look the way you want it to, what would it look like? 
right? You're not going to be able to achieve every single thing on your list. There are real life constraints, but a lot of times you can do a lot more than you think you might be able to. You know, it's sometimes not possible. Again, if you're renting, if you're in an apartment, if you're in a small space, you might not be able to change a lot, but there's still going to be something you can change, right? Can you change the height of your furniture? Can you move the furniture around? Can you put stuff on the walls? Can you take stuff off the walls? right? Can you put up a couple of decals? Can you give yourself a focusing space? Whatever it is, it can be really helpful. Let's talk about touch and tactile surfaces. I think this is one sense that a lot of people kind of forget about when they're thinking about a safe space. A lot of us do think about the noises and the lights that we engage with every day. Um, Many people, especially those of us who have some trauma background and may not be in our bodies a lot, discount touch um, or are aversive to touch. And if that's you, that's absolutely okay if that's where you are. That said, texture and using your body to feel safe can be part of healing that nervous system and getting yourself back to a place where you're able to be in your body more consistently. This is something you can absolutely check in with your mental health professional or your therapist about. I'm not trying to give you medical advice, but I am saying that thinking about the sense of touch in your safe space can be really important for certain kinds of brains. So the texture of everyday household items is an important consideration for anybody who's autistic, but also if you're ADHD, if you have sensory processing challenges, if you have executive function challenges, this can make a really big difference. If you have physical disabilities, right? Like MS or any kind of uh, nervous system issues, you want to consider carefully what textures and touch sensations are sensory friendly for you, especially things that you're going to use a lot. If you're using something every single day and it feels awful, you are spending energy every day feeling awful when maybe you could just replace the thing and or use something different, slightly differently, and not be using that energy badly every day. So if an item feels too rough or too smooth, or it's just not right for you, you can think about replacing it with something else, adjusting it somehow, or, or you know, rethinking how you do the task. A lot of times, a lot of us even avoid certain tasks in our house because the sense there's something off with the sensory input right? So for example, I will tell you one of my kids can't handle touching silverware, but he can handle plasticware, flatware, silicone, almost any other kind of texture, but not metal. So his choice is to either spend a lot of energy every day gearing himself up to touch the metal so that he can eat, you know, multiple times a day, every time he eats, or we can offer him plasticware that's reusable that he uses instead. And he can use that plasticware and use all that energy he was using for the silverware somewhere else, right? Um, I used to avoid doing the dishes because I didn't like the feeling and the scent of the sponge. Then I realized you can actually not use a sponge. (laughs) You can use dishcloths. You can use those little scrubbers. You can do, there's so many, you can change your dish soap, right? Um, There's lots of ways to affect the, the touch of the thing. And now it's not that hard to do my dishes. Like, I'm not going to say it's my favorite chore, but it's not something I actively avoid. I actively avoided doing my dishes for years, and now it's not a problem. And a lot of that has to do with making the dishes a little bit more safe to do by thinking about the touch and the scent and some of the other aspects, right? The the temperature of the water. Um, If there's certain kinds of things that I can't handle I can't handle, for example, Brillo pads on metal. It's awful. I don't do that task. I either cook in other ways so I don't have metal in my sink, or I make sure somebody else is available to wash that piece um, if, if I want to use the thing. 
thinking about that touch and sense of touch can be really important. So how you clean your house, particular detergents might bother your skin or particular methods of cleaning your clothes might feel rough. Find out what works for you and what doesn't. There's no judgment and no shame in how you take care of your space, right? You take care of your space the way it works for you. So it might take some trial and error, but that's part of the process. And the end goal is to create a home environment that you feel comfortable in. One more thing to say about touch and tactile surfaces is many of us avoid certain touches kind of automatically. We don't like certain kind of clothes. We don't like tags in our clothes. We don't like brushing our teeth. We don't like that metal feeling I was talking about, right? Whatever it is. Something that can help that you might not think of besides just avoiding the stuff you don't like is purposely adding in things that you do like to touch, right? So if you have fidgets, if you have a favorite stuffy, if you have towels that make you feel really comfortable, certain kinds of blankets, textures of cups, you know, your favorite plate, comfy slippers, right? Whatever it is, if there are ways to add things to your experience of touch and your experience of of being in your body in the world that make you feel good and better and safe, add those things in, right? Like I said before, it's not always about removing negatives, but it's also about adding positives. All right, let's talk about smell and sense real quick. If you are building or renovating part of your home, you might want to consider using paints and hardware that are scent-free or have reduced odor. That has saved me so many times, especially if you're thinking about putting color on your walls. When you're choosing items to bring into your home, consider if there is a version of the product that might have a less invasive smell than one made with artificial materials. Now, natural, quote unquote, is a word that doesn't really mean anything, right? Uh, many of us already know this, but in case you don't, there's no like law that says what natural means. Natural just means it reminds you of something that has to do with nature. It doesn't mean it actually comes from nature. And on top of that, things from nature are not inherently better or worse than things that are man-made or person-made, right? Um, There are mushrooms that kill you in nature. There are medicines that save you that are man-made. So natural doesn't mean better. However, (laughs) things that are marketed, marketed as being quote unquote natural often have a less invasive smell or a less pungent smell than things that are not marketed as being natural. So it can be worth it to, you know, stand in the aisle (laughs) and smell some things if you have the energy that day, or I will say straightforward that I will often order several different versions of a thing and choose the one I like and return the others, right? That requires some some income, right? Some ability to sort of have your money in hold with the store until you can return the things. And it requires the executive dysfunction to actually return the things. But that can be a good option if you have a brain like mine. Um, Another thing is that mealtimes, it can be good to consider the types of food that you cook and your cooking methods, because having something like an exhaust fan switched on or being able to cook by an open window can help with ventilation and with getting food smells out. A lot of us are very sensitive to food smells. And again, think of things you can add as well. Is there a meal that you cook that smells really, really good for days and makes you happy for days? right? Is there a candle you really like or an essential oil you really like that you could leave available to you, right? Are there ways to add smells and scents that feel good, that feel safe, that make you feel calm, okay? So a good thing to think about. And then there are more senses than five, but for the last big one, that would be taste, right? And taste in humans is often associated with food. So, you know, Eating a wide variety of foods is is important if you can do it, but it also needs to be enjoyable. And if there are certain foods that you just don't enjoy or you struggle with, you know what? You have my permission to just cut them out where you can. Find food that suits what you like, 
so that mealtimes are a good experience for you. If you need help, you know, like talk to, there are a lot more neurodiversity affirming nutritionists than there used to be in the world. Occupational therapists can also help adults if you have uh, like a limited eating, if you have trouble with certain textures or tastes. We're not trying to force you to eat food you don't like. That is not the goal. But if you are scared of food, if food is really hard, I encourage you to get some support. It doesn't have to be that way. And I'm not saying, you know, food will ever be perfect or easy for you, but it could be less difficult. Find food that suits what you love. Try to have a good experience with something you have to do multiple times a day if you can, right? Or at least a neutral experience. If you're having a particularly difficult day, you know, a lot of us have safe foods that are our go-tos. They can be meals that involve very little preparation that you enjoy and if possible, minimal cleanup for a low energy day. Um, some people use, you know, freezer section frozen meals for safe foods. Some people make a big batch meal of chili or mac and cheese or whatever it is for you and freeze, you know, 20 of them for a bad day. On my bad, bad, bad days, I will just have grits and cheese. So, you know, safe meals ideally have a mix of different kinds of nutrition in them, but really it's about getting you some energy to get through that day. And if that means you have grits in a candy bar on one day, whatever, you have grits in a candy bar on one day, right? And then the next day you try again, okay? Stock foods that you like, stock foods that make you feel good, um, stock foods that are relatively easy for you to prepare and that make your life a better life. I know that was a lot of information, but I hope it was helpful in just thinking through how could you make a safe space for yourself? How could you make a sensory friendly space for yourself, right? You know, I am lucky that I live in a house with a lot of rooms in it. I also do all of my sleeping and all of my reading and all of my living and all of my business out of one room. Um, that's just how it worked out for us. All the other rooms are taken. So even though this room is my bedroom, office, reading space, everything, it's also my safe space room. I have the colors I want on the walls. I have candles that I like available. I have snacks hidden in little corner cubbies, right? Um, I have sheets that make me feel really comfortable. Um, I have spaces for the cats. So they're motivated to come cuddle with me, right? I have all my books. <laughs> um, I really, I have so much art, so much art on the walls. Um, I have really worked on how to give myself even a small space that makes me feel safe, that is relaxing, that can comfort me when I'm having a very overwhelmed moment. And I really think it has made a huge addition to my life. You don't have to have a whole room. You can have the top of your dresser as a safe space. And I have had clients who just transformed a corner, a corner of their space, and it made a huge difference in their life. So just remember that your goal is to create a safe and comfortable space for yourself. There are going to be aspects of your house that are out of control, but you can just start in one place, in one little corner. And maybe it's your bedroom, maybe it's your office, wherever it is, maybe it's your bathroom where you hide. You know, there are many ways that you can just start a safe space. So maybe you get rid of one area of clutter. Maybe you add a blanket to your bed that has a soft texture. Maybe you remove an item in your bedroom that's causing you to feel overwhelmed. Small and simple changes to your space can help you manage your feelings of overwhelm and welcome in feelings of calm and rest. Creating a sensory-friendly space in your home is, is important for you and everyone around you. Remember, if you have more capacity to handle your feelings and your overwhelm, other people will develop more capacity as well. The other people around you will develop more capacity as well. So making changes for yourself supports everybody in your space. I hope this episode was helpful for you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Neurodiverging Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to check out the show notes at neurodiverging.com and to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash neurodiverging if you'd like to give a couple bucks a month to supporting our efforts. I want to thank all of my patrons for supporting this podcast. I also want to thank Stephanie Vanderberg, who was instrumental in supporting the writing on this episode. We do have lots of links of other resources you can use to create sensory-friendly spaces down below on the show notes, so please check those out if you want more information. If you hear this episode and are motivated to go create a sensory-friendly room or space or corner, please send me a little write-up. Send me a picture. I would love to see what you all accomplish. Tag me on Instagram or Facebook. I would love to see it. Thank you so much for being here today, and please remember, we're all in this together. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.